0: This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide episode 385, hello and welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, I'm glad you could join me. My name is Stephen Fennec, I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Panasonic has withdrawn from the Australian TV market what we can expect to see at the Samsung Unpacked event next week. And we chat with Motorola's Danny Adamopoulos about the new Razer folding smartphone. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Samsung Galaxy Book S laptop. Uniden has also released a new range of UHF radios to stay connected in remote areas. And the family that's paying just 46 cents a day for their power, after installing a Tesla Powerwall, and we'll answer all your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. It's always a sad day when there's an announcement of a company that's been around for quite a while pulling out of a, a particular category that they were actually quite uh, quite strong in a few years ago. And I'm talking about Panasonic. They've just announced that they're uh, withdrawing from the Australian TV market. Uh, they've, they're given, obviously, their sales, their, their TV category has, has really taken a hit in the last few years and they're saying that they're pulling out of the market here in Australia just so they can focus on other more established and successful areas of the business. Uh, Panasonic were once considered one of the big four, uh, and by the big four I mean Panasonic, Samsung, LG, and Sony. Uh, in recent years uh, that's all changed, of course, and Panasonic really struggled to, to stay up with the, the, not only Samsung, LG, and Sony, but also other new players on the market, in particular uh, brands like uh, Hisense and TCL, these Chinese brands that are really making an impact here in Australia. Uh, Panasonic, though, they've got one of the only consumer electronics companies that's actually been around for more than 100 years, would you believe? So just to be clear, they're not closing down completely. They're just pulling out of the TV market in Australia, to focus on other areas of the business that I'll talk about in a moment. But uh, Panasonic in the early 2000s were were an absolute powerhouse in the TV business because they were one of the only, one of the leading manufacturers of plasma TVs. Cast your mind back to the early 2000s when TVs were literally changing shape. The flat screen TV was all the rage and plasma was a really solid and leading format of TVs back then, and Panasonic were, were uh, I think, producing their own plasma panels as well, so that, that was an advantage for them. But eventually, uh, everyone woke up to plasma and how you could probably get better results with the imp- rapid improvement of LED, LCD, and the also, the the fact that the plasma uses so much power, so much more power than than LED LCD. So comparatively, I think twice as much power a plasma panel would use uh, compared to a similarly sized LED LCD TV. So that transition from plasma to the LED, TVs. That was kind of the beginning of the end for Panasonic because they they were they were suddenly they had lost their advantage here. They were playing in the uh, a more level playing field. Every other company had LED LCD. I think Pioneer was even a leader of, of plasma TVs back in the day as well against Panasonic, and it too just just totally pulled out of the market as well. Like many many years ago, at least Panasonic hung around and. Uh, More recently, they even decided to go into the OLED market. So they were sourcing their panels from LG Display. LG Display is a totally separate company to LG Electronics, even though they've got the name LG in the title. Uh, And they do business with a lot of other companies, including or used to do business with Panasonic. And I I think Panasonic will still be operating and selling TVs in other markets, just not in Australia. Uh, LG Display also supply OLEDs for LG, of course, and also for Sony. So, um, but they they were their OLED TVs were positioned as premium TVs. I think you're looking at they were they were way more expensive than other brands, and uh, they were kind of took the position of you know we we wanted to go after the sort of the more premium quality customer who who's after that sort of premium look and feel. But at the end of the day, I think customers were finding that quality uh, in other brands at a cheaper price, hence the reason why Panasonic weren't able to sell those high-end TVs that were up up to like nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And in the very competitive TV market, other brands kind of took their place, like Samsung, LG going strong, Sony hanging in there, uh, TCL and Hisense in particular also doing uh, sort of coming into the market and winning the trust of customers, and also winning their winning their customers well, winning their money because they're buying their products instead of Panasonic. Sad to see them go. Uh, I was always a fan of Panasonic. Uh, I remember my very first my first memory of my our first color TV back in 1975, was a national Panasonic, uh, so they've been around for that long. Even I think our first VCR was a Panasonic. I'm still a fan of Panasonic though, another other categories. my, I have the UB 9000 4K uh, Blu-ray, 4K player in my home theatre. It is, it's $1,800 player, but worth every cent because it's driving my my high-end system uh, and really delivers the sort of the ability to calibrate and, and customise the settings really well with all my other, uh, with my projector and my receiver and all those other products. So they're still around there uh, in, in these other markets, in these other categories I should say. And uh, the other categories of course will, will include things like uh, their Lumix brand or who, who hasn't heard of Lumix their camera division uh, brilliant uh, in, in Range they have there, very popular with customers as well. Uh, don't forget too, they're, they're still in the audio business and they've also just recently relaunched the Technics brand. That's sort of their premium audio brand. They're also uh, growing in, in sales in their personal care and kitchen appliances as well. Uh, and also they have an award-winning air conditioning range. So this is in the end of the road for Panasonic. It is the end for them selling TVs in Australia, but uh, they are still going to be around. If you still have a Panasonic television, they are still going to honour any warranty and any customer service issues that you may have. So they're not going to leave customers high and dry. Panasonic Australia Managing Director Paul Reid made a statement and he said that uh, he's they've informed retail partners of the decision, uh, but they will still continue to provide customer service to all owners of its TV products. And the, he said they will always put uh, their customers first and provide the highest level of support. So you are not going to be left posted if you've just recently bought a Panasonic TV. Panasonic TVs by the way, were really highly regarded in Hollywood. Hollywood filmmakers used them as reference monitors when they were colour grading and editing their films. So uh, the quality is there is there. It's just that customers in Australia unfortunately weren't willing to pay those extra those that extra money for that for that kind of quality. But uh, it, it, I'm sure in the coming weeks, you may even pick up a bargain if you're looking for a, a TV. Uh, as I said, they're still going to support people and are warranties. So if, you're, if you do buy a TV in, a, in like a run-out sale, you're going to get a high-quality TV, but you'll still be supported. Sad news about Panasonic, but they're, like I said, they're not going away. They're still around, uh, and, uh, but just not selling TVs anymore. If you want to read more about that story, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with
1: Stephen Fennec.
0: Now, in a few days' time, I'll be packing my bags and heading to San Francisco with Samsung for their new Unpacked event. This is the event where Samsung unveils their flagship smartphones and this year we're, we've got a lot to expect here. Last year they they did a great job with the releasing the S10. It was also the first chance we got to see the Galaxy Fold. And so this year's event, there's a lot of expectations around this year's event, and we're expecting uh, again some pretty exciting products. And this year, in in the twelve months since the, the launch, there's been a lot going on with Samsung. The Galaxy Fold had to be delayed. Um, the S10 though, and uh, uh, the Note 10 that was released later in the year have been doing fantastic business for the company. Uh, but there has been, ahead of this event, a lot of leaks, a lot of, lot of reportedly leaked images and, and specs and even photos. And and I thought I would, uh, before the event proper next week, I would kind of give you an idea of what we can expect to see at this event, the first is the the new flagship, the Galaxy. It's not going to be called. We don't think it's going to be called the S eleven. That's where up to they're up to in the line. It's S ten, and what comes after ten is eleven. Uh, we were the biggest thing we're hearing is that it's not going to be called the S eleven. They're going to leap all the way to twenty, so it's going to be the Galaxy S twenty. Uh, and one one reader suggested that that might be a move to match the year of release. So the S twenty will be released in twenty twenty. So uh, that, that's a nice bit of bit of synergy right there. A little very symmetrical. Uh, but what can we expect with the device? Now, the biggest things, the, the most common rumor we're hearing is that there will again be three devices. There will be the regular S20 with a 6.4 inch screen. Then you're going to jump up to the S20 Plus. So there, there, that's a 6.7 inch device. And then what we're hearing also is they're going to have an S20 Ultra which is going to have a massive 6.9-inch display. Bring it on. I love a big screen, and I will hopefully be getting my hands on that, if these rumors are right, of course. Uh, the other thing, too, they're also going to, of course, have the dynamic AMOLED displays, and this time there's going to be a tiny little single hole punch to accommodate the front-facing camera, which we believe is going to be a 10-megapixel camera. Uh Design-wise, not too different to last year's model. Again, having that edge-to-edge look with the screen. uh, They're going to also have an in-screen fingerprint reader because from the renders and the leaked photos, there ain't no fingerprint reader on the back of the device, so it'll likely be in the screen. The other big change, though, is the, uh, the camera on the back. So uh, as is common with other brands, they're just adding more lenses and more capabilities, and Samsung is no different. There apparently is going to be four cameras on the rear panel, uh, which is like this rectangular section in the top left corner, not, not unlike the iPhone 11 Pro. So expect to see this this big with this big black rectangle uh, in the top corner, and the various models, the three different models, will have varying camera qualities. Obviously, the higher end ones will have the best. But what other what other big rumor is the fact that it is one model is going to have a one hundred and eight megapixel main lens. 108 megapixel and that's alongside a 48 megapixel ultra wide and telephoto lenses as well and the other, the other whisper is that it'll have 10 times optical zoom, thanks to some new periscope lens technology as well. Under the hood, uh, battery capacity is up to 5,000 milliamp hours, would you believe? So that's a lot of battery and a lot of power. That's kind of two and three day battery life. Uh, also, they'll, of course, have fast charging. Uh, they'll be powered by the Qualcomm Snapdragon 865 processors with either a 12 gig or 16 gig of RAM on board. That's laptop RAM right there. And it is also expected that uh, either all or two of the three models will be 5G compatible. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Galaxy Fold managed to debut at last year's uh, Unpacked event. And the rumors are very solid that we're going to have another folding device, but not necessarily the Galaxy Fold 2. We are going to have a folding smartphone, but the rumors suggest that it won't be anything like the Fold, which kind of opened up like a book and turned a phone into a tablet. What the reports are saying is that the new device is going to be called the Galaxy Z Flip. And it will basically be a clamshell device. So it'll open up and give you a large 21 by 9 ratio aspect ratio display which no real report, haven't really confirmed a screen size, but there was a video doing the rounds on social media and it looked like in the guy's hand, he's either got a really small hand or this is a really big screen. It looked to me like about a 6.7, 6.8 inch display when opened right up. So you can imagine folding it down flat and look, looking like a wallet. So you, it folds down to smaller than the size of a wallet. And what do you do with your wallet? You open it up and then turn it on its side and then you've got this massive screen that you're looking at. That's what we are hearing is the folding device that's going to be unveiled at this event. Other products, we're going to probably see uh, updated version of the Galaxy Buds, perhaps with noise cancellation this time to go up against the Apple AirPods Pro. Uh, Galaxy Watch don't think they're going to update the Galaxy Watch at this event probably at the Note event later this year that's when the Apple Watch sorry the Galaxy Watch Active 2 that was announced at the Note event in August in New York last year so I'm assuming that they're going to probably time the new Galaxy Watch uh, whatever form it takes whether it's active or or another form of watch probably for that event later this year but TechGuide will be in San Francisco for the event next week. So tune into the podcast in a couple of weeks. We'll have that all that news for you. But also check in with Tech Guide every day on our website. We are going to be reporting from the event. Uh, and if you want to read more about our rumour roundup right that we just spoke about, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Now, another phone that has just been announced that is due to be released in Australia at the end of February, February 24 to be precise, is the Motorola RAZR. Now, this is the new, it was announced late last year and really generated a lot of excitement for for me included. The Motorola RAZR is going to be a folding smartphone. So you cast your mind back to the early 2000s, the RAZR, remember that RAZR flip phone, uh, so what they've done is kind of they've reintroduced that they've they've reincarnated that product and included with it a folding screen. So now when you open up the Motorola Razr, the new version, you're going to see a 6.2 inch display fold open in front of you. It's a little OLED display, a POLED display that then opens up 6.2 inch display and then folds down flat. To a thickness of just 14 millimeters, so uh, there's a 2.6 inch OLED screen on the front, and it also gives you the opportunity to see your messages and notifications on that front screen. But when you want to open her up, you get that 6.2 inch. The screen unfolds, uh, and you you get. It's running full uh, version of Android 9, I think, and with an update for 10 in the near future. Uh, But This has really got a lot of people excited, uh, us included, as I said. And we sat down with uh, with with Danny Adamopoulos, who uh, is the head of marketing at Motorola Australia, and we got talking about what we can expect to see, uh, what the work that went into creating this product, and who, uh, which carriers are going to be involved and who this device is aimed at. Here's what he had to say to us earlier. G'day, Danny. Welcome to the Tech Guy podcast. We're here to talk about the new Motorola Razr. How exciting? Very exciting. Great to be here, Steve. So we're going to see this product at the end of Feb, Feb 24, I understand, and this was announced late last year and got everyone excited. Uh, It really sort of takes us back to the original Razr, those those days when this was the hottest phone on the market, and I, I remember using one. So I'm sure you're playing on that sentimentality for the new product.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, consumers out there that remember the razor and had a razor. And there's a lot of younger people who you know aspire to have a razor, and now they can.
0: Well, we... This is obviously a folding device as well, so that's pretty fairly new. So how, how much development has gone into this? I understand the whole thing was developed in-house at Motorola, so there's screen, the hinge. Take us through that.
1: Yeah, so this has been in the pipeline for about four years, um, and over the years it's evolved until we came up with a perfect recipe of, of developing what the device looks like. Um, the hinge assembly and the the display assemblies all was all made in house, and you know a lot of trial and error, but we got there in the end, and we have a, a beautiful product
0: as a result of it. So take us through the specs. So I understand the screen inside is a six point two inch uh, AMOLED screen. So obviously flexible display, and there's a there's a screen on the front as well, isn't there? So how we've got two screens for the price of one. Two screens for the price
1: of one. So you can use the device open. Um, with a plastic display or fold it closed and then you can still continue to use the device. You get notifications or you can do video calling, um, you know, see alerts, your the weather and things like that on the front display. So you don't need to open the the, the device or the phone to uh, to still use it.
0: And I, I see there's only, thanks to the, de- the design, there's only one camera. So the, the, the camera is in the closed position, you can use it, and then when it's in the open position, it's also in the right spot as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, what, 16 megapixel and... Because cameras are a very popular part of the phone, would you agree? Yes, they are. Cameras
1: are one of the most common use features uh, on a device. So this one's got a 16 megapixel shooter on the on the outside with an f 1.7 um, focal point, but there's also a five megapixel on the inside as well. So you still can use it for video calling while the device is open, oh, cool. uh, things like that. Uh, but the
0: main shooter is on the front. And who's going to buy this? Do you think? Like this, this is a pretty high end phone. A lot, a lot of pretty decent specs. But is, is your typical early adopter kind of executive – who's, who's the customer for this phone?
1: So without trying to you know, put think people into a box, we think the top end of town – um, style conscious fashion conscious people, someone who wants something very innovative um, and very different from the marketplace everyone 's got a, a phone that they can plonk on the table and it 's just a square slab. This one actually allows something to you know to have a talking point when you sit at a cafe or a restaurant everyone 's like, "Wow, what is that that 's a super small phone and you can show that it folds and it just wows everybody every time we see it
0: and there there 's a few features we should talk about too, so one of them is uh, it doesn 't have a physical SIM card slot it 's got an e sim. Uh, That's one of the first phones in Australia to be released with just an eSIM. Tell us how that's going to work.
1: Yes, so with the eSIM, there's no physical SIM card slot on the device, so we've worked with the operators to uh, enable the device to be set up. So you, you go to a shop, they'll give you a barcode, you take a picture of the barcode,
0: and within a few minutes your device is configured, ready to go. So that's like putting in a physical SIM card. You just scan a code and it imprints your SIM information on the chip. Correct. Yeah, so
1: it pulls it down from the network and then configures itself and, and it's ready to go.
0: Okay. Now, I understand this was also due to go on sale in the US last week, but because of high demand, it had to be put forward, which is kind of a good problem to have, isn't it?
1: It's a, it's a great problem to have. Um, but you know, So it goes on sale this week. Yeah. Um, so we're, they announced it last week, uh, the pre-sales, and goes on shelf this week. And we're going on
0: pre-sales this week, and we'll be on shelf on the 24th. So with the the launch in the US next week, the Australian launch on Feb 24, who, uh, is, which carriers are going to take it? Where can people buy it? So at the moment, we're launching with Telstra as
1: our launch carrier partner, and JB Hi-Fi as our launch retail partner.
0: It will also be available
1: on Motorola.com.au. Uh, where you can purchase it directly from Motorola.
0: Now, folding phones—I think uh, the Razer, as much as you'd like it to be the only folding phone of the year, it's not going to be. There's going to be others. We've, we've seen the leaked Im- images of the Galaxy Fold Two and all these other devices. How is this going to stack up against the competition?
1: Well, we welcome the competition. It's good to show that um, you know there's there's faith in the in the foldable foldable uh, space, and uh, we we feel that we have a, a very premium quality product. Um, that will, you know, target the the niche the customers are looking for for
0: something different. So I think what what the others don't have though is sort of your legacy in the space here, where the the razor was just the red hot phone of the early two thousands. Uh, they don't those other brands don't kind of have that that, uh, that sort of callback to that those times where this phone was the you couldn't get your hands on one. It was that popular.
1: Yeah. So the razor was was spectacularly popular in Australia. We sold just of the original V three razor just over one point three million units. Uh, and then, the, you know, the follow-on product, which is the, the Razer 3G version, we did in excess of 550,000 uh, units. Um, so, you know, overall, the Razer legacy is pretty big. When you say Razer, people automatically know that's Motorola and that's, a you know, a flip phone. Um, and to give it, you know, ongoing life, you know, it's even made its way
0: into Monopoly as a little uh, icon on the dashboard. Yeah. And with the device itself, there's obviously, it's a flexible display and so... There is obviously warranty behind it, but and this has been tested, I understand, to be opened and closed many times. How, how thoroughly has this been tested?
1: This has been extensively tested. Um, I've never actually seen in all my years a device tested so much, just to make sure that the, the, the quality of it is really, really good. Uh, but we will guarantee the product for the life of its uh, – for the warranty period, which is two years. Um, if there is something wrong with the display, we will cover that under warranty, no questions asked. Um, but then there's, you know, will be some fixed rate pricing on the on the repairs as well that won't be too prohibitively expensive.
0: Now let's talk uh, partners. Telstra, I think is you've announced them as a launch partner, and JB Hi-Fi is a retail partner. Uh, but others, are, I'm assuming, are going to come online later in the year. We'll make further announcements on the other partners as we're ready to launch. You're Not going to give me a scoop, mate, for the podcast. No scoops today. <laughs> so yeah, so we the pre-orders have kicked off today, and. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a popular one, going by what the demand was in the U.S., and I understand it's on sale in already in sale in Europe? It's on pre-sales in Europe to be on shelf uh, next week. Is it is it enjoying the same kind of popularity? And, and you were telling me earlier that you had to delay the launch in the U.S. because you, you couldn't make them fast enough.
1: Yes, so uh, the, the European trend has been following
0: suit as well, so we look forward to the same success here. A good problem to have when you can't make them quick enough, though, isn't it? Danny, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for talking to us on the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you. Great to see you, Steve.
1: This is Tech Guide.
0: The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, we upgrade our phones and our TVs and our laptops, but how about upgrading your home Wi-Fi? Well, it's time to do just that with Wi-Fi 6. If you watch your shows on streaming services or play online games, then the newest range of high performance routers from Netgear are perfect for you it's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment the Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 routers give you ultra fast speeds that get four times the capacity compared to today's Wi-Fi which means you can connect more devices and stream simultaneously without impacting the speed and reliability it's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever and you can be one of the very first to have the next generation of Wi-Fi 6 technology with a Netgear Nighthawk router turn your Wi-Fi Wi-Fi up to six with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. Go check it out today at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. Come on. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Now it was only last week where we were talking about the the Galaxy Book S and we promised a review and we've been using it all week it has been our daily driver and we I've got to say I'm really impressed with this in it in terms of like if you're a, if you need a laptop that you always want to be connected if it's not going to weigh you down your backpack reliable fast great performance, then uh, the Galaxy Book S is definitely uh, a laptop for you. Look, it's not for everyone. I think if you're a high-end user, uh, you know, doing a lot of high, using high-end applications like video editing and all that kind of stuff, then you probably need something a bit better than this. But I think generally, for even for people like myself who I mainly write, use the web and email, I do the odd bit of video editing. But uh, I, it, the type of video editing that I do, or even photo editing, it's not really too taxing. Uh, so I, I, if I do really need to edit a video, a heavy video, then I go to my MacBook Pro or my iMac, which is pretty specced up. Uh, but in terms of a device that gives you great connectivity, uh, there's a 4G SIM card slot in it, so you're always connected. It, it, it's really light, thin. It, it really delivers for those users who want something to connect really easily, something that's better than a tablet to use, something that's better than their phone to use, then the Galaxy Book S is for that user. Uh, so this is in the first time Samsung has gone into the laptop business so years ago they did have laptops and they were kind of like the other laptops in the market and the other laptops were just simply better and sold more and Samsung pulled out but this time around with the Galaxy Book S Samsung are playing to their strengths because this takes this is more mobile platform it has mobile architecture inside a mobile processor So delivers the computing power and platform from a mobile device, which is Samsung's bread and butter, the number one smartphone manufacturer in the world, and it takes this all new platform and builds a laptop around it. So you're getting that connectivity of of a smartphone, the 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 efficiency of processing on, on a on a smartphone. So what they're using is the Qualcomm Snapdragon 8cx, which is a mobile computing platform. So still offers great speed, great performance, uh, and but but doesn't produce any heat. It, it is really efficient, and that benefits not only the the user f- with, uh, that gets the speed and the performance that they're expecting, but being No producing no heat and being really efficient means that it opens up a lot of design options. It means you're getting a really thin device because no fans are needed to dissipate any heat. There is no heat. So you can get a device that's as thin as this. It's 11.8 millimeters thick, weighs less than a kilo. So it's 961 grams. So suddenly you've got this pretty powerful laptop This always-on laptop in terms of connectivity, there's no more looking around for a Wi-Fi hotspot, tethering your phone. You just don't have to think about it. That's what I like about it. Whenever I was out, normally when I'm using my MacBook Pro, I've got to find my Netgear M2 hotspot, turn it on, wait for it to, to boot up, wait for the laptop to find that network, and then I'm away. Or alternatively, I, I, if I haven't got my Netgear M2, I use my phone to, to pair, to, to create a hotspot for the laptop. But again, that takes a few attempts. Like my iPhone, if I'm using an iPhone, uh, will, even if I'm connecting it to a MacBook Pro, takes a couple of goes for it to recognize or connect properly. It's, it sometimes says, look, it's not connecting properly. i have got to do it again. And it, it's, that's five minutes out of my day. So with this Samsung, with the Galaxy Book S, I don't even have to think about that. Because there's a SIM card on board, if I'm out of if I'm out of Wi-Fi reach, then I'm boom I'm straight into four G. So If I'm sitting in the middle of Martin Place, for example, typing away, I don't have to turn on my my M two to my hotspot. I can connect this through the four G network, and it's fast four G LTE. I've got a Telstra SIM card in there, and it takes any other four G data SIM if you want, and it's lightning. It, it connects me quickly. I'm uh, I um, i do not have to even think about being connected. Another attractive feature of that. How Apple hasn't come up with this with their MacBook Air, I'll never know. The MacBook Air is actually heavier and thicker than this device. The, the nearest Apple equivalent is the MacBook Air. It's 15.6 millimetres, that's only four millimetres thicker, and it's 280 grams, 89 grams heavier than the Galaxy Book S. Uh, and all What what the Galaxy Book S also has that the MacBook Air doesn't is a 13.3 inch touchscreen display. You won't find a touchscreen on a Mac laptop. So I've grown used to being able to touch, reach out, and touch my screen now. Uh, On the spec side, too, eight gigabytes of RAM, five twelve of storage, but the SIM card tray also has a micro SD card slot, so I can up my memory just using a memory card. So here's those advantages of from the phone. Now coming to the laptop, so uh, again I say uh, how Apple hasn't thought of this yet. Have sold a MacBook Air with a SIM card slot. They make they they make products with SIM cards like the iPhone. So why not chuck a SIM card tray? Uh, well, I think it might be too much to ask to make for a micro SD card slot. They haven't got any memory card readers in their laptops anymore, but. If they want to keep some customers and attract new customers, then I think that'd be a great idea. This Samsung have decided that that's uh, and rightly so that that's the right they're the right features to include. And I've had a lot of people ask me about this product. A lot of people have been asking me when am I posting my review, and it's up on Tech Guide now. But uh, th- this is I think they're answering they're kind of filling a spot of the market here that hasn't been filled yet. There aren't too many laptops that have this really great mobile architecture, efficient architecture, would still will have great performance, but also then bringing to the table a touchscreen display. So it's kind of like you use it like a tablet, but there's a full keyboard and you've got your 4G connection and microSD card, expandability, running Windows 10. It's got everything there at your fingertips. And I had it in my backpack. I forgot it was even there. It was that light. I even was able to fit the Galaxy Book S into the iPad pocket of my backpack. It didn't even need to go in the laptop section. It's that small and light. Uh, look, battery-wise, again, another big tick here. Uh, if, if you just use this, I think Samsung is saying it's up to 25 hours of video viewing. Yeah, if you're just sitting there, Wi-Fi off, everything off, watching video, you're going to get maybe that that much power. But uh, I didn't get anywhere near as much as that, just using it as my daily driver. So I, it was connected to Wi-Fi, I was connected to 4G, I was receiving emails, working on it, editing photos, updating my website, uh, answering emails, doing all my day-to-day stuff. It easily got me through the day and into the next. So there's no risk of this running out of power in the afternoon. Really great battery life, very impressive. It's like a day and a half battery life. Uh, It kind of runs on the smell of an oily rag. It's really, really impressive. Um, The the, the thing about it too is that having the SIM card in there, when you need it, it kicks in. But when you're back on Wi-Fi, it'll automatically choose Wi-Fi. So you're not going to be run up a big 4G data bill either. Uh, look, overall, I'm really impressed with this. Uh, Samsung, I think, have really hit the hit the right spot here with this rather than offering a, a similar laptop that everyone else does. They've really come up with something new here. It's a laptop with a difference, as I've described it in the past. So having that new Qualcomm mobile platform is really helpful. Having that efficiency, that beautiful thin and light design is also attractive. So it's not, not going to weigh you down at all. uh, This is is a winner. I I really rate this uh, good on Samsung for playing to their strengths, as I said here, playing to their strengths and bringing sort of more of the mobile characteristics to the laptop and offering the power of the PC and having windows at your fingertips and all of those things they've created, they've sort of poured into one, uh, kind of the best of both worlds, mobile and PC all in one. The Galaxy Book S uh, is available now. It's $1,699. It's not cheap, but it does it, it is an all-in-one solution. You just buy a data SIM and you're connected. It is it is brilliant. So I, I think it's worth the money. Uh, you may get a deal if you chop around, but available now $1,699. And if you want to read more about it, read our full review, check it out techguide.com.au. Uniden have just released uh, a new range of UHF radio so you can stay connected in remote areas. Uh, I'm sure uh, there are a lot of people who enjoy uh, getting off the beaten track. They are camping, off-roading, hiking, and often they find themselves in remote areas and outside the reach of the cellular network, so it's really handy to have a device like the Uniden, uh, the UH600 series. So this is, a, this is a small device, fits in the palm of your hand, is uh, UHF radio. So it's it's built to handle rugged conditions. It's, it's quite light and compact, uh, available in 1.5 watt and 2 watt versions for extended range. Uh, works across 80 UHF channels, uh, so you get pretty clear transmissions. It also has, and this is really impressive, a communication range of more than 13 kilometres. I, I remember I, li- I live in the eastern suburbs and uh, often on uh, my local shopping centre is only like about three kilometres away. I said to my wife, I said, we, we could, if we wanted to, not worry about calling each other on our phones, we could just have these little Uniden, the UH, UH series, the 600 series, and just just use them to, to communicate. We could say, uh, yeah, Roger, are you there? We can, rather than having to pay phone bills, we can have this, but... Maybe not practical uh, when we're separated by more than 13 kilometres. But you get the drift here if you're on a camping trip, you're hiking. Uh, you Rather than having to rely on having uh, your mobile, in, in often a lot of remote areas around Australia, you don't get any reception whatsoever. So if you want to stay in touch with the people that you're with uh, within the 13-kilometre range, you can do that with the UHF radios. Now, it has a large channel display. It's got a backlight, rechargeable battery, so you get up to 20 hours of talk time. And for people who don't often use UHF radios, there is a cool feature called the shared channel quiet filter. So what this means, it means, you know, sometimes if you, you may be on the same channel as someone else and there's all this chatter that's happening. So what the shared channel quiet filter allows you to do, it allows you to only permit transmissions from radios using the same code. So if you, say, gave this one to your kids or your family members using it, you set on the radios the same code. So even if you are on the same channels that other people are on, you can only hear each other. So it really simplifies it for kids and families and people like that. So if you're an outdoor, you know, if you're an adventurer, you've been out in the outdoors for years and you know your way around a UHF radio, that's great. But if you're, if you're a child or new, new to using these devices, that's a handy feature, I think. So uh, you're not hearing everyone else's chatter and they're not hearing you either. Uh, which is also good. There's an auto squelch as well. I love saying that. Auto squelch, which blocks out unwanted background noise. And a simple feature that's handy, it's got a carabiner and belt clip, so you can easily attach it to your clothing or your backpack. Very handy, and these start from $59.95 for the UH 610. Uh, this The 620 is available in single and twin packs. So if you want two 610s, you've got to just buy two of them. But the 620, which is uh, slightly better, uh, has it has a single pack, uh, which is seventy nine ninety five. Uh, the twin pack is a hundred and seventy nine ninety five, which I've just worked out is just uh, no, it's a little more than twice uh, eight and eight. Yeah, it's a little more than twice. But the the twin pack is a slightly better radio. It's the uh six twenty two DLX radio. So I think it's got. It might be a two watt model, so you get a uh, better range with that one. So uh, pricing's all on my story on Tech Guide and some pictures of the devices as well. So if you're an outdoors person, and my son does a lot of this, my son goes driving, uh, camping and off-roading and all that kind of gear, uh, and he's got his unit in in his car, but he also has his radios as well for when he's not in the car and he can still chat with his buddies and they stay in touch, even though he can't contact me because he's out of mobile range, or so he says. So uh, he can keep in touch with his mates though when he's on the camp. Site, and you can too if you enjoy that kind of thing. If you enjoy your camping and off-roading and hiking and all that stuff, stay in touch with each other with the UHF radios from Uniden. You want to read more about that story? Check it out: techguide.com.au. Mm-hmm. a uh, story on tech God i wrote the other day uh, about a family who 4 years ago were one of the very first people to install a tesla powerwall i remember writing about this in january 2016, and there's also a photo that I've included in my story, January 2016, the, the Fitzner family, uh, it's mum, dad and two kids, and in 2016 that's four years ago, the kids were actually quite young and they've obviously grown up in four years, you can see the today's photo as well but apart from them, their kids are getting older, what the biggest benefit is, is the fact that they're saving so much money on their energy bills, now this was installed by one of Australia's largest solar and battery installers, Natural Solar they're a friend of the show, they actually installed my solar panels and my Sonnen battery here at home, which I've spoken about on the show. You can read all about that on Tech Guide as well. But in this instance, uh, the, the Fitzner family, uh, they live in the Sydney suburb of Kellyville Ridge. They had the, after four years, they've saved $8,463.42 on their power over four years. So that's an average saving each year of $2,155.86, which means if you do the math, they are now able to power their home for just 46 cents a day. Now, of course, connected to the power wall is a solar panel array. Uh, which connects then to the the Tesla battery. It's a five kilowatt power uh, solar system, which connects to the Tesla power wall. Uh, Now, they didn't state exactly how much they spent on the system, but I understand it's around $14,000, $15,000, which means that if you take all these into consideration, all these figures, that the system will pay itself off uh, in between six to seven years. Now, a lot of people balk at that price, and even my, my system actually costs more. My system, I've got a bigger house, and I've got a bigger battery. Uh, I My system costs nearly $19,000. And a lot of people balk at that price. They say, boy, that's a lot of money, $19,000. But my answer to them is that this is, is an investment in my home. It's an investment in my family's future as well. I'm sure that many of you listening have maybe, maybe you've done a kitchen renovation or a bathroom renovation or done a big trip, overseas trip. And it's probably cost you probably more than $20,000. And the difference between a kitchen reno or a bathroom reno or a European holiday is that they don't pay you back over four, five, six, seven years. Whereas this system does. The system, the Tesla system has, I think, 10 to 15 year, Uh, Lifespan the battery does. Uh, My Sonnen battery has actually a twenty to twenty five year lifespan. So over time, you're gonna your your investment's gonna pay you back. Uh, I'm saving big money as well on my system. I've spoken about that before. I'm not going to repeat it now, but there is stories on Tech Guide if you want to check out the savings I've made. And I even doubled down and bought an electric car. So I'm saving not only electricity, I'm also saving fuel because I can charge my car through my battery and panels as well. My Tesla Model S. So that, that's, that's another saving that I'm enjoying there as well. So the, the, the savings are there. I think a, a lot of people have also said to me, they said, you know what, I might wait two or three years, wait till it gets cheaper. And I say, yeah, you can do that. But in the two or three years you're going to wait, you're going to be paying full price for your electricity. So in three years, well, in four years, say say the Fitzner family said, I'm going to wait four years before I put this in because I want to try to wait for it to get cheaper. In four years... They saved eight thousand four hundred and sixty-three dollars and forty-two cents. If they had have waited four years, they would have paid eight thousand four hundred and sixty-three dollars uh, for their power. So the saving, I think, will outweigh any kind of drastic price reduction they think they're going to get in the in the interim. So it's kind of a situation where it's just you make the you pull the trigger. And you're going to be saving that money straight away, rather than waiting for in two or three years' time for the price to drop a thousand or two thousand dollars. You would have given up eight thousand dollars in savings. So really, the, this is a great example of how uh, having a system like this can really save you money. Uh, and in the long, this isn't a short-term solution. This is a long-term solution that can last up to 20, 25 years. So. Definitely worth the investment, as as we can see from the, the this Fitzner family, they're powering their house for just 46 cents a day. Can you believe it? If you want to check out that story, you know where to go, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is also proudly supported by our friends at Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, we live in a world that's always connected. There are cyber attacks, phishing scams, ransomware, even online predators and big data tracking your every move. So you need protection. All these cyber threats have evolved, and that's why Norton has evolved with them. The new Norton 360 gives you next-level protection, combining the power of device security with a secure VPN to help keep you and your family safe and private Online. The new Norton 360 is all in one protection for your devices and provides online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech God Help Desk is brought to you by Belkin, our friends at Belkin, if you're after cables and chargers. And soon, uh, they're going to be releasing some speakers. So keep an eye out for that. Check them out, belkin.com forward slash au. Today on the help desk, we've got a couple of uh, questions that we had sent to us on email. One was from a gentleman who is heading to the uh, UK and Great Britain. And he wanted to know the best option for staying in touch. I think he said he's got a work phone. Now, depending on how long you're away it's worth maybe having a roaming plan. If you're away a month, then paying a certain amount of money per day for a roaming pack is going to add up. I think Vodafone's the best with, if you're a Vodafone customer, you just pay five bucks a day to use your phone plan overseas. So you get all the same data data allowance and all of that, and it's five bucks a day. I think Telstra and Optus charge 10, 12 bucks, 15 bucks a day. So if it's a long trip, that's going to add up. So there's that option. The other option is if, and, and this works for a lot of people, is just using Wi-Fi to stay in touch. Like you can Wi-Fi, call uh, over Wi-Fi on, on FaceTime, on Skype, or all these all these WhatsApp, you can use all kinds of communication apps uh, to and they'll work over Wi-Fi. So if you want to call people, stay in touch, FaceTime, whatever you want, then it's possible just to wait till you're on Wi-Fi. But for, for, this, for this particular gentleman who emailed me, he said, look, a lot of the trip's going to be on a coach, So there's a lot of travel between cities and Wi-Fi is just not going to cut it. There's no Wi-Fi unless there is Wi-Fi on the coach, which I doubt. Then he said, I'm stranded. So uh, my other suggestion was maybe buying a prepaid SIM, a data SIM, uh, when he arrives that will work across Europe. So have like Vodafone, O2, Orange, there's all these brands that uh, they've got networks all across Europe so without any roaming charges. So that might be an option as well. Probably the best option, especially when he's on those long legs on the coach and wants to uh, access the internet and, take and make and receive calls and do all that sort of thing uh, when he's out of Wi-Fi. So several uh, options there, I think you need to know, take into account how long you're going to be away and how much it's going to maybe pay, it's going to cost you for roaming packs and things like that, so just keep those in mind as well. Uh, The other question I had was from a reader who said they bought a Hisense TV last year and was wondering if it had Bluetooth, Uh, I'd say if it was bought in 2019, I'm assuming they're saying, then it will have Bluetooth and you will be able to connect your headphones and they said, how do I do that? Well, you go into the settings, you go into the Bluetooth menu and then you put your your headphones into pairing mode or earphones into pairing mode and then they should appear on the list of devices on your tv and then when they do click on the name of your headphones and hit pair and then boom you're connected you can listen to your tv wirelessly just like magic There, are that's the help desk for this week you're listening to tech guide And that's full-time on another show. Everything we've spoken about, of course, you can find at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a line, info at we want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and all your devices safe online. Thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.